the way that he serves. And I just pray your blessing over him today as he brings the word. Holy Spirit, eliminate the words that you have given him already and bring clarity. I pray that our hearts would be open, mm. that we would hear, mm -hmm. that we would be moved to respond to your word today. Mm. And thank you that you're leading us on into something through what we'll hear today. Mm. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Morning, everyone. Yeah, good job, love. Good prayer. A lot of prayer this morning for Jess. A little inside joke there. Um, at this point of our gathering, we come together as a community to sit under the authoritative word of God. Uh, many of us are doing our best to read the scriptures throughout our normal weeks, to familiarize ourselves with the story of scripture, to hear from God, and to be formed more into the image of Jesus. But I felt prompted to remind us this morning that it's not enough to just read the scriptures. We as disciples of Jesus want to assume a posture of being read by the scriptures as well. And what I mean by this is that we're sitting under the word of God in humility, willing to be corrected, reproved, or rebuked. Yes, we are doing our best to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. But let's be honest, we kid ourselves if we think we've outgrown our need for repentance, realignment, reminding, or re reorienting along the way. You see, for centuries, the capital C Church has seen the Bible which is a group of divinely inspired and authoritative books in various literary styles telling one unified story that points us to Jesus. This story is the story of heaven on earth being ripped apart into heaven and earth and God's glorious mission to reunite these two realms once again, right? This, my friends, is the story of reality. We, you and I, we swim in story. We are formed and informed by so many alternative stories throughout our everyday lives. We don't have to go far or try hard to be inundated and barraged by various stories. This is passive spiritual formation. We just need to wake up in 2022 and we are assaulted by a plethora of alternative versions of the quote-unquote good life. So when we come together to read and to be read by the story of God, we seek to locate ourselves within His story. Who is God? Who is this God revealed in this story? What is he up to? And how can I return to my original design to partner with him? We so often drag God into our story rather than finding ourselves in him and his story. The good news is this. We don't do this in isolation or in our own strength. We do this in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to teach about Jesus and loves to point us to the Father. And we, by faith, believe that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so with humility and curiosity and in the power of the Spirit, we open the Scriptures together this morning. Amen? Amen. See, we'll be rooting ourselves in one verse over the next three weeks. This is the first verse of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we're doing our best. We were talking about it this morning in our prayer gathering. We're trying to prepare the way for the arrival of Jesus 
as we uh, embark together as a community on a two-year journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And I may be the only one that's excited about that, but that's okay. I'm fine with that. Um, but, but this is where we're going, guys. This is where we're heading. So if you guys have your Bibles, let us open up to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. And we're just going to read the first verse. And then we're going to talk about one of the phrases in this one verse. <clears throat> and so I'm going to read the scripture. And then I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And then you guys could say, if you want to, thanks be to God. Okay, we're grateful for this word this morning. Matthew 1 verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. This is the word of the Lord. Well done. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Awesome. It's easy for us to read the Bible flatly, meaning that we're reading it out of context or with little context or little thought around things like, who is the original audience that would have been hearing this? Uh, who is the author? What is the literary style? And so on, so on and so forth. And I remember about 15 years ago when the show Lost was really popular. Anyone else a Lost fan? And I would love to run into other Lost fans because we could talk about the show, right? What was going on and what was happening. And those poor suckers who did not know what was going on standing near us in those conversations were so confused. Like, what is a smoke monster, Tom? And what is, what is the Dharma initiative? What the heck are you talking about? Why does this matter? And so for the innocent bystander, those things meant nothing. But for those of us who were watching Lost, those things meant everything. He said the same thing could be easily true for us as we look at Matthew 1.1. What the heck? Who cares if Jesus is the son of Abraham and David? What, what is going on? What, what's the big deal? You see, the original hearers of Matthew's gospel were primarily first century Jews. So when they heard that this Jesus was a son of Abraham, their ears would have perked up. Like, what? They would have been clued into the story that had been unfolding in their, fa in their family for centuries. So if we're not careful... Uh, we can lose out on the significance and the beauty and the details of the story of God when we just read it so flatly. So things that mean nothing to us meant everything to them. So why does the phrase son of Abraham mean something? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to be looking at together today. So I'd like to look at it in a few different headings. So creation, fall, redemption, um, promise, and pilgrimage. And then I want to uh, just kind of close with what I felt like God was kind of highlighting this week as I was praying and studying. But before that, would you guys just pray with me? Okay, so let's just bow our heads. And if you feel comfortable, you can extend your hand out to me to pray for me as I'm doing my best to, to, to bring um, some teaching from this word. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are humbled this morning that you want to meet with us, that you want to speak to us, that you want us to find ourselves within your story, that you want us to, to know more about you today than we did when we first came in these doors. And Lord, so we humbly submit ourselves to your authoritative word this morning. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come open up our ears, soften our hearts so that we could actually hear the good news of the gospel and that we would leave here transformed, that we would be more like Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, empower us to both listen, to, to read and to be read by the scriptures. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. So I want to talk to you guys about, uh, so we talked about the story of Scripture being one unified story, right? So there's four main acts within the story of God, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. So I want to kind of use those as the headings for our conversation today. So the first uh, thing I want to talk about is obviously the beginning. So in the beginning, God created all that we see. So we believe as Christians that God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit, and they have been in this eternal relationship of love from the, before the foundation of the world, before time was even a thing. And from that beautiful relationship of eternal love, this whole, everything that you and I see bubbled up and out of, of that relationship. So they wanted to share what they've always known with us, and so they create this world for us to live in. So everything we see has been created by them. Everything we don't see also been created by them. And so they create this world. Did someone say my name? Might be losing my mind. Um, maybe it's Jesus, yeah. Um, was it Aslan? Is that what someone said? Okay. No, man. There you go. Sorry, guys. So anyways, God created the world, everything we see and everything we don't see. And um, on the fifth day, in the, in the creation narrative, on the fifth day, he creates, anyone know? Fifth day. Fish, fish and birds. So he creates the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and he does something. He blesses them. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then day six, he creates the animals, everything that's creeping and crawling along the ground. He does the same thing, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he creates us, humanity, the peak of creation. And he says the same thing, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But he doesn't stop there. He also says, hey, come rule with me. Come, come reign with me. And let's, let's spread this blessing, this goodness, this abundance into all creation. And so we've been given a task, we've been given a job to partner with God in spreading this blessing, this goodness, this abundance, this multiplication into all the world. So Jeff Anderson, an Old Testament scholar, says this about blessing. He says, a blessing is a potent way to invoke, distribute, or celebrate the well-being that comes from God's favor. In the Old Testament, blessings primarily invoke fertility, authority, dominion, wholeness, peace, and rest. And while these blessings might proceed from God to humans or from humans to other humans, and even from humans back to God, a blessing is at its core God's enhancement of a life of fullness. Okay, so in the beginning, God creates us. We're, we're living in this, or humanity is living in this blessed place, the Garden of Eden, where it's actually like a picture of blessing. It's abundantly beautiful and, and bountiful, and it's just multiplying. And we're given a task to rule with God there. So we see Adam and Eve partnering with God, surrendering to God, and ex experiencing and embracing this reality that I have more than I've worked for. I didn't cultivate this. I'm just here receiving it and enjoying it. I have more than enough. So that's, that's act one. That's creation. It sounds like a pretty great place to be. But we all know what happens next, right? Shortly thereafter, we uh, see that Adam and Eve are living with God. And in that beautiful garden, he places in the center of the garden a tree, right? And he says, listen, guys, you can eat of anything in this entire garden except of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the reason you can't eat from it is because if you eat from it, you're surely going to die. Okay? So it's basically like, hey, guys, can you just trust me? I know what's best for you. And they do that for a while. And then there's this slippery uh, serpent that, that slides his way into the story. 
And he, alter, he alters the story a bit. He offers a, a, a different idea about who God is, a different story, a different version of the good life. He's like, hey, I think God's actually keeping something from you. Did God really say not to eat that tree? He just, he's trying to, like, if you eat from it, you'll be really like him, and he's kind of insecure and jealous. So just don't do that. Or no, actually do it. That's why he doesn't want you to do it. And so we all know what happens. Adam and Eve are kind of stuck there, and then Eve eventually grabs what she thinks is beautiful. She takes it herself. She disobeys God. She shares it with her husband. And then what happens? God comes and finds them. And he asks, he's like, hey guys, uh, knowing full well where they are, we, we hear in the narrative that God's asking, hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they before were naked and unashamed, enjoying the blessing of God's abundance. And then all of a sudden they're covered with the fig leaf. They're blaming one another. She made me do it. The snake made me do it. And then God does something about it. He actually, he, he speaks a curse. And so what we see in Eve, as she reaches out and grabs for herself what she thought she needed, we see the, 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 the circumstances, the environment in which they are going to live now are changing. So Eve expressed autonomy, like, hey God, I'm going to do this on my own. Idolatry, hey God, you're not the center of my world. Actually, I am, my desires and wants are. And a rebellion against God's good rule. God, I know it's better. I know what I, know what I need. Thanks for, for trying, buddy, but I, I've got it from here. And so whenever humans take what is a blessing in their own eyes, they forfeit God's true blessing. And so what we see is God curses the serpent and he curses the ground. I, I used to read it and think that God cursed Adam and Eve, but he doesn't actually curse Adam and Eve. He curses the ground and he curses the serpent. And so the environment has shifted. So the, the environment of blessing that once was is now cursed. And so things are going to be more difficult for the man. Like God talks about how the earth basically before everything was just easily enjoyed. Now you're going to work till you die to try to cultivate this earth to get some food out of it. I'm still going to take care of you, but it's going to be really hard for you to, to enjoy what I've given you. And so I don't know if you've experienced this. I've experienced the, the, the echoing effects of the curse in my own life where it feels like all of life is fighting against me. Like, no matter how hard I try, there's never enough. I can't get from this thing what I thought I was going to get. Anyone else? I'm trying, I'm toiling, and it just doesn't ever come out the way it should. And so there's this beautiful creation God has invited us into, this life of blessing. We choose autonomy, we choose idolatry, we we choose rebellion, and this ushers in a curse. And so the rest of Genesis goes on to unpack, um, the, the, the evidence and the effects of this decision, this rebellion, uh, for example, the first, so Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were cast out of the garden. This is Genesis chapter 3. Cain murdered his brother Abel and lied about it. Chapter 4. Humanity, be, humanity became so corrupt that God cleansed the earth with a flood. Chapter 6 through 8. Noah got drunk and exposed himself to his son Ham. Chapter 9. In their defiance of God, men built a city and a tower, and God had to send confusion to end the rebellion, chapter 10. So it's not going great. It's not going well. Started out beautifully, great, abundance, blessing. We, we kind of think, hey, you know what, I'm going to grasp this blessing myself, and this ushers in this whole disastrous way of life. Um, Walter Bergerman says this, barrenness is the way of human history. In other words, like barrenness is the result of, of the curse. It is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. There is no foreseeable future. There is no human power to invent a future. 
But barrenness is not only the condition of hopeless humanity. The marvel of biblical faith is that barrenness is the arena of God's life-giving action. Do you guys want me to read that again? Okay. So, so think about this, where we're at in the story. Blessing, curse. We're, we're stuck in this, this, this wasteland of barrenness. Barrenness is the way of human history. It is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. There is no foreseeable future. There is no human power to invent a future. But barrenness is not only the condition of hopeless humanity. The marvel of biblical faith is that barrenness is the arena of God's life-giving action. So creation itself, God took chaos and reordered it into beauty and abundance and order. He creates out of the wasteland this Garden of Eden. And so our decision of autonomy and of, of, of um, life in rebellion to, to God ends up in barrenness. But that's not the end of the story is what the point of this quote is. God can step into, that's where God steps in and brings about a new future and a new hope. But you and I can't bring about the, ho- the future and hope that we want without God is really the point I'm trying to make there. So what we see um, as we skip over, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Last week we looked, or two weeks ago, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus. And uh, there's a genealogy here in chapters 9 through 11. And it ends, so this is kind of the, the result of the curse, the result of humans trying to seize autonomy from God. We read this, where, where normally genealogies continue on with um, someone begat who and someone begat whoever else, and strange names we can't pronounce would be um, written there. It says this, But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. It's like a picture. It's like we, we try to make our own future a possibility. We seize what we thought was going to bring us there, and the result of humans trying to create a future is barrenness. And so into that <clears throat> story, God speaks these words. So we're going to read together from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's so what we need to know about Abram at the time is he's an old man and his wife is barren. And God's like, hey man, listen, I'm going to make you into a whole nation. You're going to have a bunch of kids. He's like looking around like, what? Me? You're talking to me? That's right, Trish. Abram was Italian, little known fact. He's talking to me. Let's see what's going on. Um, sorry if there are any Italians in the room. I didn't mean to butcher your beautiful language or accent. Yeah, Frank is sick. So God begins to speak uh, some hope into the situation. Into barrenness, God talks about blessing. So God's story of reuniting heaven and earth, restoring blessing to his creation, continues on as he's chosen one man, first in Noah. Now he's choosing one family in Abraham, who will become one nation, Israel, who will become all people eventually, which is the church. So this is this ongoing story of God's redemptive work in humanity. So God called 
God calls aged Abraham and barren Sarah in the midst of a fallen world to embody in human history the blessing of God. He's going to start over, right? He's like, I tried with Adam and Eve. They, they screwed it up, but I'm committed. I want to partner with humanity. I want them to understand and experience and live from the blessing. I want them to get it. I want them to spread abundance and life and fullness and fill the earth with my presence. That's, that's what I've created you for, and I will not give up on that. And so in Eve, we see the, the grasping and the trying to make something happen. I'm, I'll do it myself, God. And in, this, in, these, in these three verses, we hear five I wills from God. Basically saying, hey, listen, this is going to work, but I'm going to be the one giving you these things. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who, who curse you. And I'm going to bless all the earth through you. <clears throat> N.T. Wright, uh, New Testament scholar, brilliant guy, says this, Central to the story of the Old Testament and the whole driver for biblical theology is God's calling of Abraham to undo the sin of Adam and its effects on the world. The covenant that God made with Abraham, therefore, in his election of Israel, was made precisely in order to carry forward his plan for undoing the effect of evil and restoring his creation. The promise to Abraham of a land was the start of God's plan for reclaiming and renewing the entire world. The promise of Abraham of a family was likewise the start of God's plan for populating this restored world with a worldwide family. It is from this concrete basis that the rest of the Bible's holistic approach to salvation proceeds. And also the continuity between the Old and the New Testament. Rather than God's people living in God's land being an, adequate, sorry, being an inadequate earthly prototype for a latter, more spiritual understanding of salvation, the covenant with Israel indicates the start of God's plan for a renewed earth ruled over by his renewed people. Getting back to Eden. I want to partner with you. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. And I want you to rule with me. So the point here, guys, is there is no real begin Genesis. There is no new beginning for barren people apart from the reality of this God. It is thus not the command, but the promise which puts the hard issue to Israel. It is the promise which requires a decision for a radical repentance it is the promise which requires a rejection of all posturing, a recognition that the world revolves around and is powered by this other one who will be trusted and praised. So in the beginning of this blessing, God is saying to Abraham, hey, dude, I want to bless you and everything, but I need you to leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and I need you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. So he's like, hey, I'm calling you out of a life of rebellion that's led to the curse and barrenness, and I'm inviting you back into a relationship where I'm king and I'm calling the shots. But you're going to have to give up a bunch of stuff. But I'm going to bless you. I'm going to restore you to your original purpose and design. So there's an invitation we hear from Yahweh back to trust, humility, to receiving and not taking, to surrender, to partnership, and to worship. This sounds a lot more like Eden, right? Yes, okay. Great. <laughs> All right. Um, Jesus, we go on. Act three, we get to the redemption. In Jesus, we see the one who fully embodies the blessing of God in the fallen, broken world. Okay, so Jesus is the son of Abraham. 
God promised that through your family, through Israel, one of, one of you guys one day will fully embody this perfectly. And what we see throughout the rest of the New, uh, Old Testament is Abraham's family failing miserably, trying, doing it okay for a while, and then curse again. Blessing, curse, blessing, curse. And then we get to Jesus, and Jesus finally fully embodies the blessing of God. He refuses the temptation to grab and seize his own version of blessing, but instead continually trusts and receives from the Father. Remember in the garden, he says, hey, your will, not my will be done, all the way to the point of death. So his life, death, and resurrection was the reversal of the curse for all mankind. So Jesus is the one through whom blessing for the whole world will come. Jesus, like, in the, we talked about this in our series earlier this year, but yes and amen. All the promises of God find their, their fulfillment in Jesus, right? So this promise to, to, make, to be a blessing and make you a nation that will bless all the other nations finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Galatians 3, 13 through 14 says this, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection undid the curse and restored a life, uh, the possibility of a life of blessing for us. So he obeyed perfectly, lived the life we could never live on our behalf, and invites us into a relationship with him where we get to receive all the blessings of that. So this for us, guys, I think is where I want to kind of focus and land. <clears throat> so Jesus is the son of Abraham who fulfilled the promises that God gave to Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years previously. He's going to be the one who's going to fully partner with God, who's going to fully receive and live out the blessed life. He's going to be able to spread abundance and life like, like that we were supposed to do in the garden. And we see that as he's healing people, as he's restoring people, as God's kingdom is coming to earth through his life. And so where I wanted to kind of land and where I felt like the, the Holy Spirit kept kind of highlighting this week or in my life and I think in all of our lives is just a couple things. This, the, the reality for us that we could say stuff like that, like, yeah, man, Jesus, you know, he restored the blessing for me and leave it there on the shelf and be like, you know what? I don't know what that means, but it sounded good on Sunday. I have no idea how to apply this to my actual life. What does it mean to live a life of joy like Jess was inviting us into this morning? What does it mean to be a people who are serving and modeling our lives after the person of Jesus? How do we live in submission to scripture? How do we do all these things? And so I think it goes back to the, the beginning of what, what Abram, or the call that, that God issued to Abram. And it's, it's really this invitation where, where Yahweh is saying to him, and I think Abram is an example of what it looks like to be a disciple, someone who actually follows God, right? into the unknown, into the uncomfortable, into the things that we're not sure of yet. And, and God says this, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. This reminds me of a few things Jesus said. Mark chapter 8, Jesus says this, If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Or what we've entitled and tried to structure our entire church around, this call from Jesus to, hey, hey, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Hey, leave your home, leave your country, leave your relatives, and follow me to the place where I'm, I'm leading you. Here's the truth, guys. 
you and I, we cannot create the future we want in our own strength. And how often do we try? How often are we grasping at something that looks good, and then we grab it, we get it, and then it actually unleashes a life of curse and not blessing? Another Walter Brueggemann quote, God calls the hopeless ones into a community with the future. He calls the fixed ones into pilgrimage. The speech of God of this barren family then is a call to abandonment, renunciation, and relinquishment. It is a call for a dangerous departure from the presumed world of norms and security. The narrative knows that such departure from securities is the only way out of barrenness. The whole of the Abrahamic narrative is premised on this seeming contradiction. Listen to this. To stay in safety is to remain barren. To live in risk is to have hope. I'll read that last bit. To stay in safety is to remain barren. To leave in risk is to have hope. So when I look out on you guys, I know that you're in this room are like, I, I actually want hope. Yeah, I, do. I don't, I don't want to remain in, in barrenness. I want to live uh, in what God has for me. But let's just be realistic. This requires abandoning some things that we've become comfortable with. This requires... Renouncing things that we're maybe okay with currently. It means letting go of the things that we're so tightly grasping and holding on to, trying to control, and just like, okay, Lord, I have to, I have to actually surrender this to you. I have to actually relinquish control. And so, throughout the story of the Bible, it seems like there are always two ways to go about obtaining the good life or blessing or what we're after. The right way is learning how to cultivate and create and to stay in this place of learning how to receive from God. We think about the Garden of Eden, our original design, everything. We, we were partnering with God, but we weren't making anything happen. We were receiving from God. We were receiving what was given to us. And then the other option is what we see lived out in the, the narrative in the life of Eve and so many other people in, in our own lives, in my own life, I see it so often. So there's this idea of learning to receive and there's this idea of going on and grabbing what we think we need. Taking. I'm going to get this. I need this. And to me, like in my own life, I see those times where I've grasped and grabbed and been impatient and insisted on my own way. What I thought was going to happen never happened. I only experienced more isolation. I experienced more barrenness. I lived in this place of scarcity and like trying so hard to have enough and make something happen. Anyone else? And then the other path, which is interesting because it often doesn't look, the, the path to grabbing often feels a lot easier. It's like the path of least resistance. It's like, I can, it's right there. I can see it. I could just, if I just grab it, it'll be fine. And the way of blessing of receiving, it feels way harder. It's like uphill all the way and it's raining and it's like too cold and your shoes are slippery. And it's like, but it's worth it. It's worth it.
And that, like Jesus talks about that, like there's a narrow way he's calling us to. And uh, there's a proverb that talks about, um, let me find it. I think it is. Which verse? Sword drills. Oh, you know when you get a new translation of a Bible, like, really? Really new living translation? This is what you think it says. But anyways, the point is, um, uh, yes, there's a way that seems right to man, but leads, but in the end leads to death and destruction. Teamwork. Right? That's what we're getting at here. There's a way that looks right to us that eventually just leads to death and more curse and more scarcity, and more isolation, and more death. However, in Jesus, we are offered, Jesus shows us that it's, like, as a human being, it is actually possible to partner with God, to trust His way, and to live in a life of blessing. And not only to live in that life of blessing, but to be able to spread that and share that to every person we come across. And that's what we're here for, correct? That's what we want. But here's the thing. We have to be realistic about the idea that we are still holding on to things, we are grasping things, and this is a process. This is what God invites us into by grace. He wants to, to show us over time. And in community, we can show one another, dude, stop grabbing that stuff. Stop settling. Look, look how it's, like, what is it leading to? Look at the fruit of your life. So there's two paths, and I, I just felt really strongly this morning, like God is inviting us, as we're thinking about preparing the way, like examining which path we're going down. Where am I headed? Am I grasping for things or am I learning and am I setting up my life in such a way where I'm, I'm learning how to receive what God's given me rather than trying to grab what I think I need? And so this morning we're going to close with communion. And I think, th- I think this is, it's, pretty, it's a pretty great way to end in the sense that what we're doing is, is we're receiving the life of Jesus literally given for us. Like he's like, I- I've given my, my body for you. It's been broken for you. I'm, I'm shedding my blood for you so you can come back into this life of blessing. And so what I want us to think about is before we come up to, to take communion, what, is, what are you currently holding that would inhibit you from even picking up the bread and, picking up and dipping it in the water? Like what are you holding on to that's like you can't because you're like, you got your stuff here. Not that the Bible, wrong, wrong example. <laughs> I don't know. My, my wallet, my money is my security. How am I going to, I can't actually pick it up. So I guess the question I want to land with is what are you grabbing and grasping for rather than receiving the blessing given to you in Jesus? And then equally, something to ponder this week, where is Jesus inviting you to step out and risk? Jesus is the one through whom blessing for the whole world will come. This is why Jesus being the son of Abraham matters. 
Jesus is the one who fully embodies the blessing of God in this fallen, broken world. He shows us the way. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He's with us all the way through. And so in closing, guys, I just want to say a simple prayer. And um, I was going to see, John, if you want to come, and maybe you can just play some music, and then we'll, we'll take some time, guys, to respond. No pressure if you're here this morning. You're like, yeah, I mean, some of this stuff is landing, but I don't know if I'm ready yet to let go of some stuff. And I think, yeah, just keep, keep wrestling that through with God. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I cannot wait to literally lay this stuff down at the cross. I don't want to carry this anymore. I don't want to think that this is going to bring me peace and hope and security and life and all these things it promises. And you're able to just let go of those things this morning. Beautiful. That's amazing. But I want to invite those of us who are in the room this morning, who are following Jesus, who want to do their best to follow him, who accept and receive him as our Savior and Lord, our hope, our everything, then come on, let's eat together. Let's, let's receive from God what we can only find in him. So Lord, we come to you this morning grateful. We come to you, Jesus, and we celebrate the fact that you are the one through whom blessing for the whole world comes. We're grateful, Lord, that you rescued us, that you saved us, that you opened your hands to us, God, and welcomed us in. And so, Lord, we, we want to recognize this morning that there is a battle going on for our allegiance, for our attention, for our affections, for our hope, Lord, and for our entire lives. And so we want to ask for help this morning. Holy, Holy Spirit, would you show us the things that we're holding on to that are limiting us and, and, and inhibiting us from receiving what you have for us as your people, God? Show us where we're grabbing and grasping and reveal to us the emptiness that those things actually bring. And Lord, would you show us in a new depth and in a new way what your life has purchased for us, what your death has bought for us, Lord, what your resurrection means for us as your people. So come Holy Spirit, move like only you can. And uh, we just yield the rest of our time to you this morning for you to do your beautiful work in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So whenever you're ready, guys, come on up and, and take. Anybody?